We welcome you this morning to the Lord's house. We're very glad that you're here in the place of prayer and of praise, and certainly on this Lord's Day morning. We're going to begin our service, please, with number 162, and I'm going to have to ask you to take your hymnal this morning because there is some glitch in our projector, and we're going to use the hymnal, and we're going to stand as we worship and praise the Lord with number 162, Thine be the glory, risen, conquering Son, endless is the victory Thou o'er death hast won. Angels in bright raiment rolled the stone away, kept the folded grave clothes where thy body lay. Let's praise the Lord this morning. seated. Let's come to the Lord now in prayer, and we will commit our service and our time together. Coming from a busy morning, it's good to take just a a few seconds and settle our hearts down 
to settle our minds before the Lord as we come to worship Him, and we want to draw the best and the most we can from a service of worship of this nature. And so we take a moment and be still as we come to the Lord today. Let's pray. Father, there is great joy in our hearts this morning that we are privileged to come once more to the house of prayer, this place of thanksgiving, of worship, of praise to the thrice holy God. Father, we do not want to come today out of any matter of form or of just a habit. Lord, I pray that we will all have our hearts open and ready to receive the Word of the living God to our hearts. And dear Father, we pray that each one of us who know Christ would rejoice in our hearts that we have another day of life, another opportunity to take in of all the mighty spiritual blessings that we have received through our Lord Jesus. And that, Lord, we will not just take them to ourselves, but rather we will make use of them to reflect the glory and honor, the majesty of our blessed Savior. Father, what about those here today who may not know Christ I pray their hearts would be touched and spoken to by the Holy Spirit through the Scripture. Bless every part of our meeting. Thankful for the boys and girls that are here, for the young adults as they participate in the service and minister in song and reciting the Scripture. Lord, they would be blessed in their own spirit and heart. And you would put your hand upon the very youngest one in our congregation, the youngest child here, you would bless them abundantly. Bless our teenagers, our young adults. Father, give direction to them for their life. Bless them as they go forward to be a witness, as we all desire to be for the honor of our Lord. Father, we give thanks today For today is the first day of the week. And Lord, every time we come to worship, we rejoice in the great truth of the resurrection of our Lord Jesus because we stand today in that truth that He is alive and we are alive in Him. And because our Savior lives in the power, Lord, of an endless life, we also have that great hope that is in our hearts, that because He lives, we live also. And so help us to take in and to rejoice in all that that means, because had it not been for the suffering of our Lord on the cross, had it not been that He went to the full extent of dying in our place, there would be no resurrection. There would be, Lord, no hope of eternal life. But today we have and possess that hope and therefore give us joy in the Spirit of God. Father, 
put your hand upon every family, every member here. We pray for your multiplied blessing, household salvation, encouragement to go on to live for the Master. Dear Lord, write your word upon our hearts today and bless us. And Lord, we are very mindful of those who can't be with us today because of their sickness, maybe in hospital, maybe in a senior home, just not able to be out today. Oh God, bless them where they are. Encourage their hearts. Bless everyone who is watching online today. And Father, where there is a very special need, maybe it's a physical problem, maybe it is an emotional discouragement problem, maybe it is a faith issue, whatever the problem is, Lord, please come and meet everyone at the very place of their need. And so, Lord, we lift our hearts this morning, our thanksgiving and our praise and our worship, that we are today, we've been brought out of our darkness and sin. We have been brought, Lord, into the light and liberty and truth of knowing our Savior and of realizing that we today have an everlasting hope that cannot be taken away. Therefore, hear our prayer. Receive our worship today, Lord, we ask. Help us to realize and to have the truth reinforced again in us that we are living in the victory of of our Lord Jesus, and that each day we are not in the bondage to sin and self, but we are in the freedom and liberty and truth of Him who loves us with an everlasting love. So bless us now today. Encourage our hearts and continue to be with us. We ask these things in Jesus' holy, precious name. Amen. Singing again to the Lord's praise, number 148. 148, and again, please take your hymnal, and we will stand as we worship.
infinite Redeemer. Get your mind for a moment around those words and that truth. Infinite Redeemer, I bring no other plea. Because thou dost invite me, I cast myself on thee. Because thou dost accept me, I love, and thy love and I adore. Because thy love constraineth, I'll praise thee evermore. Let's sing this final stanza. turn with me in your Bibles to John's Gospel, chapter 19. John's Gospel, chapter 19. We're going to start at the opening verse. Then Pilate therefore took Jesus and scourged him. And the soldiers plaited, they wove a crown of thorns and put it on his head. And they put on him a purple robe and said, Hail, King of the Jews! And they smote him with their hands. Pilate therefore went forth again and saith unto them, Behold, I bring him forth to you, that ye may know that I find no fault in him. Then came Jesus forth wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate saith unto them, Behold the man. When the chief priests therefore and officers saw him, They cried out, saying, Crucify him! Crucify him! Pilate saith unto them, Take ye him, and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and by our law he ought to die, because he made himself the Son of God. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he was the more afraid went again into the judgment hall, saith unto Jesus, Whence art thou? But Jesus gave him no answer. Then saith Pilate unto him, Speakest thou not unto me? Knowest thou not that I have power to crucify thee, and have power to release thee? Jesus answered, Thou couldest have no power at all against me, except it were given thee from above. 
Therefore he that delivered me unto thee hath the greater sin. And from thenceforth Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, saying, If thou let this man go, thou art not Caesar's friend. Whosoever maketh himself a king speaketh against Caesar. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he brought Jesus forth and sat down in the judgment seat in the place that is called the pavement, but in the Hebrew, Gabbatha. And it was the preparation of the Passover and about the sixth hour. And he saith unto the Jews, Behold your king. But they cried out, Away with him! Away with him! Crucify him! Pilate saith unto them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. Then delivered he him therefore unto them to be crucified, and they took Jesus and led him away. And he, bearing his cross, went forth into a place called the place of a skull, which is called in the Hebrew Golgotha, where they crucified him and two others with him, on either side one, and Jesus in the midst. And Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross, and the writing was, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. This title read many of the Jews, for the place where Jesus was crucified was nigh to the city, and it was written in Hebrew and Greek and Latin. Then said the chief priests of the Jews to Pilate, Write not the king of the Jews, but that he said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments and made four parts, to every soldier a part, and also his coat, now the coat was without seam, woven from the top throughout. They said, therefore, among themselves, Let us not rend it, but cast lots for it, whose it shall be, that the Scriptures might be fulfilled, which saith, They parted my raiment among them, and for my vesture did they cast lots. These things, therefore, the soldiers did. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Cleopas and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciples standing by whom he loved, he saith unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. Then saith he to the disciple, Behold thy mother. And from that hour that disciple took her unto his own house. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the Scriptures might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. Now there was set a vessel full of vinegar, and they filled a sponge with vinegar and put it upon hyssop and put it to his mouth. When Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head 
and gave up the ghosts. The Jews, therefore, because it was the preparation that the bodies should not remain upon the cross on the Sabbath day, for that Sabbath day was an high day, besought Pilate that their legs might be broken, that they might be taken away. Then came the soldiers and brake the legs of the first and the other, which was crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was dead already, they broke not his legs. But one of the soldiers with a spear pierced his side, and forthwith came there out blood and water. May the Lord bless the solemn reading of His Word to our hearts this morning as we have read. And we pray that the truth of the Lord would come powerfully to every heart as we have thought today. We want to welcome you all this morning to our worship service. We're very glad that you are here. And we trust the Lord would bless you abundantly. You come to have a time around the Scripture and singing, fellowshipping with others. And of course, the main reason we are gathered is to lift our worship unto the Lord and to praise His holy name. And so that's why we're gathered this morning. And we pray that the joy and peace of the Lord, and as we think about the risen Christ today, well, we will rejoice with great rejoicing and thanksgiving in that. Very happy also today that we have our children from our Sunday school and our young adults, and they're going to come now and sing for the Lord and also recite some scripture. So, children, young people, please come now.
Before these young people and boys and girls sit down, we want to invite the congregation to join. We're going to sing that first verse again and ask everyone to stand, please, to sing. And we have the words now behind us on the screen. So let's really lift our hearts and our voices to the Lord today.
would like you to turn, please, in your Bibles to Mark chapter 15. have two readings today. And while you're turning up there in your Scriptures, I want to say a word of thanks to the children from the Sunday school and to the teachers and helpers, to our young adults today. And let me encourage you, please, all to remember in prayer our teachers and our students, that the Lord would bless them and bless the Word that they are being taught faithfully every Lord's day. Mark chapter 15, starting at verse 11. And the chief priests moved the people that they should rather release Barabbas unto them. And Pilate answered and said again unto them, What will ye then that I shall do unto him whom ye call the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, Crucify him. Then Pilate said unto them, Why, what evil hath he done? And they cried out the more exceedingly, Crucify him. And so Pilate, willing to content the people, released Barabbas unto them and delivered Jesus when he had scourged him to be crucified. And the soldiers led him away into the hall called Praetorium, and they called together the whole band. And they clothed him with purple and planted a crown of thorns and put it again, put it about his head, began to salute him, Hail, King of the Jews! And they smote him on the head with a reed, and did spit upon him, and bowing their knees, worshipped him. And when they had mocked him, they took off the purple from him and put his own clothes on him, and led him out to crucify him. They compelled one Simon, a Cyrenian, who passed by, coming out of the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to bear his cross. And they bring him unto the place, Golgotha, which is being interpreted the place of a skull. And they gave him to drink wine mingled with myrrh, and he received it not. And when they had crucified him, they parted his garments, casting lots upon them, what every man should take. And it was the third hour, and they crucified him. And the superscription of his accusation was written over the king of the Jews. And with him they crucified two thieves, the one on his right hand and the other on his left. And the scripture was fulfilled, which saith, he was numbered with the transgressors. And please, turning back to the book of Isaiah, chapter 52. Isaiah chapter 52 and verse 13. Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. And many were astonished at thee. 
His visage was so marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. So shall he sprinkle many nations. The kings shall shut their mouths at him, for that which had not been told them shall they see, and that which they had not heard shall they consider. Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs, carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, He was bruised for our iniquities, and the chastisement of our peace was upon Him, and with His stripes we are healed. We'll bow, please, for prayer. Father, we come now with the Bible open. And we pray that our hearts will be open to the Word. I ask for help to deliver the message. There will be open hearts to receive it. Bless the Word to us now, we pray, and encourage us. We pray all these things in Jesus' holy name. Amen. We rejoice as God's people in the truth of the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ from the dead. He is alive today, and we are thankful with not a normal thanksgiving. We are thankful with something that goes much beyond that when we consider deeply the meaning of the resurrection of our Lord from the dead. He is alive, and we have the promise of everlasting life. We will be with Him in glory, not for a period of years, but for all eternity. Now, we say those words, and they can flow off our lips rather easily, but it takes concentration and consideration deeply of the meaning of those words. But you know, before you could ever come to think of the resurrection of the Lord, well, you, you cannot leave behind the cross and all that it means and stands for. And I want us today in our services to consider deeply the sufferings of the Lord and what He did for us and on our behalf that led to His death, His burial, 
and His rising again from the grave. It is not an understatement to say that the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ is the defining point of human history. It was on that cross that the Savior of mankind died to make atonement, to make payment for sin. But it was not His own sin, we know that, but for the sins of every class, every color, every division, every culture, every civilization, the importance of the cross of the Lord Jesus, it is so vital to humanity. But why? Because, you see, friend, your eternal destiny, the destiny of your soul, is so connected intrinsically to the cross that if you ignore it, if you push it aside, your soul is in eternal danger. You see, where you stand in relation to the cross will determine either your place in heaven in glory to be with God or your separation from God in the torment of hell. And it is because you cannot give a ransom or a payment for your own soul that if you ignore the gospel message, then, my friend, you will die in your sins. And you say to me, Pastor, that's a very heavy and an ominous message. And you would be speaking the truth, because it is. But I say to you, is not the eternal place where your soul will be forever and forever a very important consideration? Of course it is. Jesus said, what will you give in exchange for your soul? What will it profit a man if he receives everything in this world but loses his own soul. And so, yes, it is of vital importance. And God also knows how important it is because He would not have sent His only begotten Son to die if it was not of greatest importance. Look, if there had been another way for the Lord to save us from our sin, would He not have done it? Would He have subjected His Son to all that He did? if there was some other way. Now, in all the steps leading up to the cross, Jesus gave His disciples many clues and direct statements about what would happen. Now, at the time, they were, well, they didn't have ears to hear it. It's like many times people sit in church and the message goes in one ear and it goes out the other ear. And uh, there's not too much to stop it in between. And that's the way we are as people sometimes. We just listen, but we're not really hearing. Well, that's the way the disciples were. The Lord was speaking and preaching. And the Christ of God, I, I say to you, He was telling them, but they didn't take it in. And He told them one such statement that when He would die and be in the grave, He would rise again on the third day And he told them as Jonah, 
the Old Testament prophet, was in the belly of the whale three days and three nights, so the Son of Man would be in the heart of the earth, Christ would be buried three days and three nights following His crucifixion. Now, this direct word has led some scholars to reject the traditional timing of Christ's crucifixion on Friday, that is, Good Friday, because there is simply not enough time for this to be fulfilled. And therefore, it has been suggested that a Thursday crucifixion in the midst of that very important week of the Lord's life, because it allows enough time for three days and three nights. Now, one of the reasons why so many have accepted a Friday crucifixion comes from Mark 15, verse 42. It says, And now when the even was come, because it was the preparation, that is, Mark says, the day before the Sabbath, that Joseph of Arimathea went to Pilate, he begged the body of Jesus, and he buried the body in that tomb in the side of the hill. Now, since the Jewish Sabbath is on Saturday, and Jesus is said to have been crucified on the preparation day, the day before the Sabbath, it was then accepted that Friday must be the day of the Lord's crucifixion. We must remember there are 52 Sabbaths in the year. But there are more than that, actually. There are seven other Sabbath days in the Jewish calendar. They're called holy days or high days. And that makes 59 in total. And in John 19, verse 31 that we read today, it says the Jews, therefore, because it was the preparation day, that the bodies should not remain upon the cross on the Sabbath day, for that Sabbath day was an high day. Why would John mention that? The point was the Jews did not want these bodies hanging there because when it came to the Sabbath day, that would not be a lawful thing. The bodies had to be taken down before sundown. So what was that high day John was talking about? It was the Feast of Unleavened Bread, also known as the Feast of the Passover. And it commemorated Israel being taken out of Egypt that many, many years before that began their wilderness wandering and journey. But the blood of the sacrificial animal was placed on the doorposts and over the door of every Jewish home, and those people were saved. The eldest son, the firstborn, was saved in that home. And they were told to commemorate that Passover time. And so, in Leviticus chapter 23 and verse 6, this was set at the Jewish month called Nisan, on the 15th day. Now, Jesus 
was crucified on the preparation day, which would have been Nisan 14. So in that crucifixion week, there were two Sabbath days back to back in the same week. It's also interesting that in Matthew chapter 28 and verse 1, it says, as it began to dawn toward the Sabbath, it's speaking about the resurrection as the women came to the tomb to anoint the body of Jesus, but the stone was already rolled away. The Lord had rolled the stone away, not so that he could get out. He didn't need the stone rolled away for that. It's so that the others could get in and see. But the interesting thing is that the word Sabbath in Matthew 28.1 is plural. It's the Sabbaths. It's also important to remember that the Jewish day does not start at 12.01 a.m. as our day does, but the Jewish Sabbath and the Jewish day actually begins at sundown. And they go until the daylight is over at the end of that day. So it's from sundown to sundown. And they count their days by day hours and night hours. So you will often hear the term, there were days and nights, or sometimes in the Bible it will be nights and days. And therefore, when you come back to the idea of a Friday crucifixion, it does not have enough days or nights. But Thursday provides the correct amount of time. Now, I say all that to you this morning because many people have wondered and have asked the questions. How come? You're reading through your Bible. You come upon what you have always been taught as being a Friday and you think, well, but there doesn't seem to be enough days and nights. How does that all work? And some people will say, well, it was only a fraction of a day or a fraction of a night that would have been placed for the whole day and the whole night. But the Lord Jesus was very precise when He said three days and three nights. And He did that on more than one occasion. But having said all that, and whatever is the position that you come down to take, or other people come down to decide on whether it was a Thursday or a Friday, what is the most important thing for us to know is that our Lord was crucified on the cross. And He was crucified in order to redeem us. And we must not ever lose that focus. Because the cross, don't forget, is the defining point of all humanity. And my dear friend, the cross is the defining point in your life. What you do with Christ will determine where you will be when you die. And I want us to think today the words from Isaiah 52 and verse 14. It says, His appearance, His visage, was so marred more than any man, and His form more than the sons of men, so that we will think 
of the suffering and the abuse that our Lord willingly took, willingly took upon Himself so that He could save our souls. He could redeem us. And you wonder, Lord, why would You do such a thing to redeem so little at the expense of so much? You never really considered that before, friend. I want you to think about the love that God has for you. The everlasting love of the Lord. May you reach out today by faith and repentance and call on Him. Because as you call on the Lord, He will hear your prayer. He will forgive your sin. And He will save your soul. We have read these very two solemn passages, both in John 3 actually and Mark, and here in Isaiah. The prophecy of Isaiah Over 700 years, that was written before Jesus went to the cross. And we have just read a few of those verses and how very detailed and specific they are. And then you read in John's Gospel, who was an eyewitness of what transpired. And all of these things come together that He was wounded for our transgressions and He was bruised for our iniquity. That, my dear friends, which was closest to the heart of God was on display. And therefore, as we proceed, we do so with great caution. We do so knowing the limitation of our ability to properly explain or communicate the words, the striking detail of the sufferings of our Lord. I want you to notice the first thought this morning is this. The steps that caused the Savior to suffer. Have you ever considered the anticipation that the Lord Jesus had of bearing our sin? How He was thinking about that before it occurred? You know that's like to a little degree. You've got something in front of you that makes you very distressed, very nervous. Maybe it's going to the doctor for surgery. Maybe it's a very serious surgery. And you don't know what the outcome is going to be. And you're very concerned about it. And you feel your stomach being turned upside down and inside out. And there are nerves in you. And it it has a different impact upon your bodily functions in so many ways. And you're concerned about that. But, But that's just a short time, isn't it? Might be a couple of months. Maybe six months. Maybe six days. But what if you had 6,000 years to think about that? What what if you had 60,000 years? Or 60 million years? What, What if you had all eternity to consider the most horrendous thing that ever could have been gone through by any person, any being? 
You see, the anticipation of Christ bearing our sin, it is so vast and so great. With the humiliation of the Lord to step down to this earth, a sinful world, a perfect Savior, He he subjected Himself to a human form. He took on a human body. He took on a human nature. But He knew that once He took that step, He would never return to what He was before. All part of His humiliation. He maintained and has kept two natures, a human nature and a divine nature, and He bears that and carries that continually this day. So full of wonder. So impossible to explain and define. But the work of our salvation, I say to you today, is no less a miracle of God's grace and greatness. If you are a believer here today, if you've been born again of God's Spirit, you are a living wonder and miracle of sovereign grace. The redemption of His people, the death of Christ on the cross was always in the mind of our Redeemer. Always in the mind of our Father. Christ is the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. And the cross of Calvary was His cross and no one else's. No one else could bear it. And no one else would ever bear it. And God has positioned and caused to come about in human affairs in divine history, the reason why empires are raised and they are brought down, why kings are brought to power and presidents and prime ministers and politicians, why social and economic ways and powers have succeeded and have failed, and all part of the plan and the purpose of the cross. To fully understand that is to grasp something of the history of humanity and what God has done in His story. Friend, if you miss this message, you will miss heaven. You can be wrong on a lot of things today. You can be wrong on your financial planning. You can be wrong on some strategic investment or some secondary matter that you're planning on, but you cannot afford to be wrong on what to do with the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Your eternal soul hangs in the balance, and it depends on your view of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And we're thinking about that from our vantage point looking back But go back into eternity and think of the anticipation of the Lord Jesus and all that He had to bear. It is something that goes so far into the wonder of grace and love in the heart of God. When our Lord was on earth, He had to go through the anguish of betrayal. 
So we've talked recently about Judas and his betrayal. He was on the inner circle of the twelve disciples. When he joined that, we do not know. But he was there in the upper room to some point. The other apostles were not suspicious of him at all of being a traitor. Judas was a deceiver from the beginning, though. We are told that he was a thief and he kept the bag of money. But if Judas was only a petty thief, that would be one thing. But he was much more than that. He was a deceiver who had given himself over to the control of Satan to betray the Son of God for a few coins, a few pieces of silver. There's no indication that Jesus treated Judas any different than the other disciples. In fact, he called him friend. Many times in the greetings that was customary for them to greet each other with a kiss and a hug and embrace of friendship, nothing was quite like that final kiss that Judas brought to the Lord, which sealed his betrayal, his hypocrisy in Gethsemane. How could this not have added to the grief and the suffering of Christ? For He came unto His own people. He came unto His own nation. Those who were part of Him. And they rejected Him. He came unto His own, and His own received Him not. And when we deal with Judas, we're dealing with someone who had received so much kindness so much love from God, and yet He took that love and He turned it into venom. He turned it into poison, whereby He would bite the very hand that fed Him. Judas represents the whole nation of Israel that betrayed their Messiah. Yes, there were those who believed on Him, and we are very thankful for that, like a Nicodemus, like a Joseph of Arimathea. They're part of the the remnant that the Lord has called out from every generation, a remnant, as Paul speaks of, according to the election of grace from every nation. I wonder, friend, as you think about the suffering of the Lord by betrayal, You can bring it home a little bit to your heart, maybe, if you think about some time in which you have been betrayed and how you felt about that, how it impacted your life, how how you sensed that someone who you depended on, who was a friend, you thought, and that friend has stabbed you in the back. That friend has betrayed you. When I say it's happened to us, It may well be that we are the guilty ones that have done that to someone else in some way or another. We're not not innocent when it comes to that, friend. But we're thinking about what you have experienced, what we have felt when that has occurred to us and happened. And it feels so... You just feel so empty. You, You feel that as you were leaning on someone for some support, maybe, and it's like leaning your whole weight and they've taken that weight away and you fall crashing down to the ground. What was that like? What would it have been like for the 
Creator of all things. The Creator, the One who gives the very breath and heartbeat to those who were calling out for His execution. And one like Judas who is so close to Him. Well, we might have a faint impression of what it was like to be betrayed. When Christ suffered this rejection, it was by those who owed their next step to Him. And yet they, they did not acknowledge that. They owed the next heartbeat to God. And yet still they rejected Him. But what about the anguish that took the Lord in the Garden of Gethsemane? Mark tells us that Jesus began to be sore amazed and to be very heavy. And He prayed, My soul is exceeding sorrowful unto death. And falling on the ground, he cried to his father, If it were possible for the hour to pass from him and the cup to be taken away, followed quickly by that word of submission to his father, Not my will, but thy will be done. Now Luke records that at that time Jesus in the garden sweat great drops of blood. His soul was so distressed. His heart was overwhelmed that his pores opened up, which is a medically provable fact that someone under great distress can come to that point. And all the artillery of hell was unleashed against our Lord It was an attempt, you know, to kill Christ before He ever got to the cross. It was an attempt for, to make Him, by the temptation of the devil, to flee that type of punishment and suffering and rather take what Satan had promised Him all the world. You remember when He was tempted in the, in the wilderness? I'll give you everything if you fall down and worship Me. It would have been a kingdom without a cross. It would have been a sovereign rule without suffering. But the Savior knew the temptation of the evil one. And He bore that in the garden, the anguish of the garden. Friend, He did that all for, for you. He did that all for me. What about the sting that He suffered about false accusation and twisted justice? After that fierce attack in Gethsemane, Jesus now greets those approaching to arrest Him. And we know that He allowed His glory to shine for a split second. They fell backward. Then He allowed them to take Him willingly. They bound His hands. They took Him as a common thief. And they brought Him to the house of Caiaphas, the palace, where all the high priests, the chief priests, were already waiting, ready for the criminal. And so here the council... They tried to raise up witnesses. They all disagreed. No one could come together. Remember, Jewish law said you could not condemn a man but by the mouth of two or three witnesses. So they were hoping to seal this case shut. They had several witnesses, but none of them could agree until the Lord acknowledged that He indeed is the Son of God. And they would see the Son of Man the Son of God sitting at the right hand of power, coming in the clouds of glory. At that point, the high priest tore his garments, said, we have enough blasphemy as the charge. He is guilty of death. 
and the abuse that followed in Caiaphas's palace of them slapping him, covering his face and saying, Prophesy, Christ, who it is that hit you? And they spit upon him. Then they finally had their day. They had vented all their abuse on Christ because they had been humiliated by Him in Jerusalem at different times when He was teaching and exposing their hypocrisy. And now they're coming back. They've got their day. This is our time. And they made good use of it. And from the back room court that they had, where they convicted Him of blasphemy, He was then taken to prison to await the morning where He could be escorted to Pilate. Yes, the Jews were not able to kill someone in capital punishment. It was not under the Roman authority for them to do that. And so they had to get Pilate involved, which was part of the prophecy that Jesus spoke on how He would die. He would die by crucifixion. And that was the Roman manner of execution. So he heard the accusations of the high priest, and Pilate takes Jesus into the judgment hall but he finds no reason for execution. He agrees to release a prisoner at that time, which was customary at the Passover, and he puts forward Barabbas. But the crowd had been well primed, and when he said, who do you want me to release unto you at this time of the Passover? The king of the Jews or this this criminal murderer, Barabbas? Surely they would choose the Christ. But no, They did not wait. And they shouted out, Crucify! As we read in Mark's Gospel, John says, Crucify Him. Him is in italics. And so it's actually just the word, the Greek word, staru. Staru. It's the word comes from the root that means a cross, a stake. In other words, impale Him. Cross Him. That's what they said. They knew. They knew what Roman crucifixion was. What about the suffering of the Lord when it comes to the raw torture of scourging? Pilate wants nothing to do with this case. He he wants to escape from this. He pleads, I find no fault in him. Three different times he said that. His efforts do not convince the angry mob. And in a final attempt to appease them, he orders Christ to be scourged. It was now the Roman soldiers that would have their turn. And so they took the Lord into the common hall called the Praetorium. It was the guard hall, the courtyard, where they would be scourging would take place. A violent process. It was designed to inflict maximum pain just short of death. The Romans would have been chastised had they killed the prisoner by scourging. They were expert at this. They knew how to bring a guy to the verge of death but still keep his heart beating. Scourging They would take the victim and they would stretch him 
over some kind of a bench or a pole with his back and legs exposed. Two soldiers, generally, on either side, they would have whips with several laces of leather attached to them and sharpened pieces of bone or of stones and rocks attached. Each strike, alternately, would have ripped into the back and ripped open the legs, exposing muscle, tendon, and bone. By the time this was finished, the body of the Lord would literally have been torn to shreds. And His blood would have been splattered all around that gory, horrible, and violent scene. Then they put on Christ a purple robe. Likely something worn by a soldier or someone in the praetorium, discarded, cast aside perhaps. They put it on His body. And then they plaited a strange word, but it means they, they wove a crown of thorns and they put it on His head. I can't imagine they put it gently on His head. I could only imagine they put it on His head. The eastern thorn, or it is also known as Christ's thorn, a proper name, it grows between one and a half and three inches long. And when a branch was woven in the shape of a crown, it would have had numerous spikes or thorns protruding from it. And after they put it on Jesus' head, the soldiers took the stick that they had put in His hand as a mock scepter, and they took that stick and they began to beat Him on the head driving those thorns down into his skull, into his brow, causing the blood to run down his face, his neck, his back. One hymn writer wrote, O sacred head, now wounded, with grief and shame weighed down, now scornfully surrounded with thorns, thine only crown. O sacred head, what glory, what bliss till now was thine. Yet though despised and gory, I joy to call thee mine. Then they took the, the purple robe that had been soaked in his own blood and sticking to his body, and they pulled it off him. You could imagine the added pain of that, exposing all the scourging wounds and his own clothes they put back on him. The Lord Jesus is then returned to Pilate 
And he presents the disfigured body to the crowd with these words, Behold the man. His face is now swollen and disfigured by the slaps and the punches and dripping with blood and putrid spit. So marred more than any man that he no longer resembles a man, but rather a victim of a pack of hyenas whose teeth had ripped him apart. Friends, we haven't even got to the cross yet. This is the suffering of the Lord. Can you picture that scene in your mind? The Lord was called a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And dear friend, He endured all of this for us. He endured it for you. Behold what love, what boundless love the Father sent His Son to suffer knowing that all this must come to pass. Knowing that His wrath must be poured out in order that we might be released, delivered, and forgiven. What will you do then with Jesus today? There is only one answer, friend, because you can't be neutral about this. You can't sit on the fence this morning. You can't say, well, sometime down the road maybe I'll think about this more deeply. I'll consider whether I receive Jesus or not. But you see, friend, that in itself is a decision. You can't be neutral about Him. Either you accept Him as yours or you will reject Him. And I pray that today that your heart would be open to receive Him. Because to receive Him by simple faith, it's not complex, you know. It's not hard. The Lord hasn't made it hard. He has made it very, very plain and simple to acknowledge that you are a sinner and to acknowledge that Christ is the only Savior of your soul. I want to close our service today by listening to a hymn that was sung by my father who passed away in 2011. And those who are from our congregation from a little time ago may have remembered this song or the time that my dad sung it.
Please listen and watch the words behind us. Please, in prayer. 
As our heads are bowed today and we are still, maybe that the Spirit of God has spoken to your heart today. If you're not a believer, you don't know Christ, and I would say right where you are, seated, you can call upon Him. You can ask the Lord simply, Lord, save me. And as you offer that prayer to Him, He will hear. He will save. And if you would like to speak to me after the service, I'd be happy to show you from God's Word how you can know that you are truly a child of God. Dear Lord, we pray that the Word of Scripture today would be fastened to every heart Lord, work, we pray. Speak with a voice that is all-powerful. Speak today, Lord, we pray. Receive our thanksgiving, dear Lord, for all we have and everything that is connected to our life here and in eternity through our Savior. So, Lord, part us now in your fear with your rich blessing. Bring us back to your house tonight as we consider further, Lord, the great wonder of the cross of Christ. We ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen.